0: Man. I tell you, there's nothing like singing about grace to to get you going. Man, we are we are saved by by grace. Those those scales that religions say we have, you know, the scales where you're trying to weigh up all your good things against your bad things, those scales don't exist. There are no scales. You know, we are justified fully and completely by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why grace is, man. I love it, I love it, I love it. And I love that line in that song, a wondrous day when when I will see the face of him who ransomed me. I'll fall in worship at his feet and rise to reign eternally in a grace so glorious. Wow. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said to a crowd, much like this crowd gathered this morning by the Sea of Galilee, he he said this, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. At Maple Grove, this world is in darkness and is in desperate need of guidance and direction. We are the light of the world. Uh, This world, it's rotten, it's decaying, it's dying, it's it's corrupting and is in desperate need of being preserved, of being saved from something outside of itself. We are the salt of the earth. I mean, really think about the implications of these familiar but yet very powerful, insightful, incredible, and potentially life and world-changing truths. Really think about them what do salt and light do? Why does, the, why does the world need them? And what would your life look like? What would my life look like if we were actually were salt and light? And think about this one. Light was and is an attribute of the one true, always existing, all-powerful, reigning forever God. And we see this true throughout Scripture about God being light. The psalmist writes this, and some of you came today just for this verse right here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold. Uh, The the Lord, the creator, the the star-breathing God is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Answer, nobody. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 76, you are resplendent or brightly shining with light. And Psalm 104, verse 2, it says, you know, the psalmist says, of God, he wraps himself in light. And like that hymn we sing, he wraps himself in light and and, and darkness tries to hide, but what? Trembles at his voice. And Isaiah, a guy who lived 700 years before God put on flesh and invaded the planet, he he wrote about the... uh, the coming of Christ, the light of man. And he writes this in Isaiah 9, verse 2. He says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And John, in his letter, says this. This is the message we've heard from and declare to you, God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. Okay, so are you getting it? This is some seriously crazy stuff. I mean, the very same word that's used to describe Jesus, the death-defeating, sin-crushing, grave-conquering, water-walking king of kings is used to describe me and it's used to describe you and every Jesus follower in this room. We are the light of the world. And here's the point. Whatever Jesus was to his world, we are to be the very same thing to our world. Whatever Jesus the light of the world, whatever Jesus was to his world, you and I are to be to our world. Yes, those in this room who have surrendered their lives to Christ and are following him are the light of the world. And you know what? Not only did Isaiah see the coming of Christ, the light of the world, but he also saw the coming of this new light that would be you and I when he wrote those words we read earlier. Arise, shine, for your light is come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and think darkness is over all the people. It's a dark world. It's getting darker all the time. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. In other words, because the glory of the Lord is on us, as people, we are now light. And the brightness of our light, the brightness of our dawn will draw nations and people back to God. Rise and shine, Maple Grove. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. And, and Peter talked about the very thing in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, when he says this to you and I. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he comes to visit us. Live what? Live such good lives. Why? So the unbelieving world sees our lives and gives glory and praise to God. How do we live such good lives? Is it by our own effort? Is it by trying harder? No, it doesn't work. Uh, uh, We do it by leaning further and deeper into his grace and the power of his Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Does it matter how you and I live? Does it matter what the unbelieving world sees as they watch us live our lives out beyond these four walls? Absolutely, stinking, it matters. In fact, the way that you and I live out our lives is our greatest testimony and our greatest opportunity. Maple Grove, somebody's watching us. And what they see has the potential to change everything. Now, the last two weeks that we were in First Peter, Peter told us that the un- unbelieving world is, is watching us to see how we deal with sin and temptation. You know, is our life different? Do we have a different character? Do we have different behaviors than the world does? And he's, the world is also watching us, Peter says, to see how you and I react to and respond to authority. And this morning, we're going to begin looking at First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, And the truth that somebody is watching us to see how you and I act or you and I behave in our marriages. You see, our marriages, godly marriages, can make a huge impact on the unbelieving world. Question, are are, are a lot of marriages in trouble in our world today? I think we know the answer, right? And and, and are, are a lot of marriages looking for answers trying to figure out how in the world am I going to make this thing work. Yeah, they are. But you know what? The how is never going to be found in the world, is it? Uh, The the how of making our marriage work is always to be found not in the world, but but, but in the Lord. And and this week we're just going to talk specifically about what Peter says to wives and next week what he says to husbands and the conversation I'm calling Godly Husbands Get It Done. And let me say at the outset. I've said it before. You know but you know, I, I believe in marriage. I love being married. I do. And, and I've watched God use marriage, my marriage, to shape, mold and change me for the better during the last 33-plus years. I know you're all thinking, "No way, you're too young, I know. <laughs> if you're not thinking that, you could, at least be, give me a nice thought, whoa. And, and I recognize that, that we're all at different places this morning. Some of you have not been very, married very long. Uh, others have been married for a really long time. You're really starting to look like each other, <laughs> dress alike. You know, uh, some have gone through painful divorces and it's hard to even think about marriage. Some of you have never been married. Some of you would love to get married. So some of you have a good marriage. So some of you are struggling. In your marriage, wondering if it's even worth the effort anymore. And I recognize that. We're all at different places this morning, but nevertheless, I can confidently say without any doubt whatsoever that God has something specific to say to everybody in this room this morning. It's why God brought you here. God brought you here because He wants to speak to you. And listen, even if you're not now and never plan on being married, I still want you to listen up for a couple of reasons. Number one, God is going to speak. He's always speaking. And if we're not listening, we're not going to hear him. And number two, because, you know, if you're not married, never plan to be married, but you know people who are. Or you know people who are about to get married. And it would be good for them to get some advice from somebody who understands what God, the guy who invented marriage, says, rather than only hear our society's twisted and negative understanding of marriage, which seems to be getting more warped by the day so Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3, and if you would stand as we read God's word, get our blood circulating, rise and shine. I love to say that too much to my kids, I really do. He says, wise in the same way, what do you mean in saying, well, he just got through saying, you know what, you, know, you need to submit to the government and respect them, you need to submit to uh, your employers, to your masters, wise in the same way. Be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful." They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And would you pray with me? Open palms. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. We acknowledge your presence for actually we never leave it. And God, you're great and powerful. And God, I pray that just right now that all of us would just zero and tune in on your word and your truth. God, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Help us to listen for the voice of our shepherd today. Father, help me to speak your truth in a way that brings you honor and glory. Uh, help me to speak it clearly, um, to speak it boldly, uh, to speak it well for you. And, 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 and Father, I, I, I pray that you open up our eyes, open up our ears. I pray that your word finds soft hearts today. And as always, Father, forgive the sins of the one who is standing up here for their many. And it's your grace by which we stand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, now, Peter says five important things uh, to wives in regards to marriage in those six verses. First, he says this, wives must follow their husband's leadership. And understand, even though the concept of male leadership In the home is about as popular today as President Obama at a Republican Party fundraising dinner, right? It wouldn't go well for him, right, or them. Male leadership has been God's design right from the very beginning. Amen? I've heard it like most of the guys on that one. (laughs) It's going to change throughout the day. And, And Paul, guided by the spirit and breath of God, put it this way in Ephesians 5. He said, why submit to your husbands as to the Lord? For the husband is ahead head of the wife, as Christ is ahead head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, for us to really understand what it means for you know, a wife to submit to her husband, it's important to talk about what, sum, um, what submission does and does not mean. First, submission does not mean that a husband is in ultimate authority. Understand, above the husband is is both the Christ and the church. So, ladies, if your husbands get out of line, call the elders. Call the elders. There's actually some early church writings where they actually tell you to do this and ask you to pick some of the rather large elders, you know. Call some of the large (laughs) elders to come over there and, and straighten your husband out. You know, if your husband's breaking the law, call the police. You see all of a husband's authority it's derived. God gives it to him. It's not innate. Husbands are not God. Now some guys may think they are and we'll deal with that one next week, all right? Next, submission does not mean that a wife does not have independent thoughts. Submission does not mean that when you ask a woman a question that she turns to her husband and says, "Hey, hey Justin, what do I think?" That's not what it means. Uh, What Peter is talking about, it's not that a woman believes everything her husband believes or that she doesn't think for herself or that she isn't educated, doesn't read good books, doesn't have deep and profound thoughts. It just means that when decisions are made, she respects the leadership of her husband. Next, submission does not mean that a wife does not seek to influence her husband. We're reading Genesis 2. Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And these five words really stuck out to me this week. And while he was what? Sleeping. I love it. You know, while man sleeps, God works. <laughs> and this big, huge thing that he couldn't fix, this problem, issue he couldn't deal with, right? God was able to take care of it while he was sleeping. He took one of the man's ribs and then closed up that place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out a man and brought her to the man. He said, I will make a helper suitable for him, a helper that, that, that helps complete him, a, a helper that's complementary to him. Proverbs 19.14 says a, a wise wife is a gift from the Lord. Amen? It really is. So should a, a wife influence her husband? Absolutely. In fact, I think that right after God, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit, a wife should probably have the biggest influence on the guy. I know that's how it is in my life. You know, My wife, Laurie, gives me great counsel. She has amazing wisdom and insight. She talks to me. She walks with me, encourages me, convicts me, challenges me, and at times lovingly corrects me. Uh, my wife is an incredible helper. She's the closest thing that I have to Having a pastor in my life. It's not good for man to be alone. He needs help. And hey, if you ever see a guy, you know it's true, right? I mean, we just need help, right? Amen. Okay, hey, more ladies joined in on that one. <laughs> now, submission does not mean that a wife must obey her husband's command to sin. See, God's in ultimate authority. And a wife is like, hey, I, I'll follow you as long as you follow Jesus. But don't you ever try to come between me and my Savior because it's not going to work out so good for you. Submission does not mean that a wife is less intelligent or less competent than her husband. This is not about IQ. I mean, there's some wives who are a lot smarter than their husbands. Instead, it just means that he is a leader and that he takes responsibility for the major decisions in the home. Sure, they talk about things and and made with some really tough decisions, they, they, they bring in some wise counsel, but when all is said and done and a decision must be made, the responsibility for the decision rests with the husband. Okay, now for what submission means. Submission does mean that a husband and wife are equal with complementary roles. You see, the question is not one of better or worse or who, who, who is more or less valuable, but rather, who has God designed for what? Your question, is an eye better than an ear? Is a heart better than the liver? No, they're all important. However, they, they have different functions and roles within the human body. Right, Paul talked about this in right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, kind of made fun of this idea, right? That we can, where we think we're just better and have more value than other people. Or he's talking about the human body, and he says, you know, the, he, he says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you, because they're thinking, really, you don't need me? How are you going to get to where you want to go? How are you going to do anything without me? See, in like matter, husbands and wives, who, by the way, are both bearers of God's image, have complementary roles, not competing roles, just like we see with Jesus and the Father, right? See, Jesus' submission to the Father did not mean that Jesus was less worthy or inferior to the Father. No, it just meant that they each had a different role to play in the redemptive story. Submission does mean, next, that wives are to submit like Jesus did in Gethsemane. In the garden, Jesus submits to the Father. Did he have feelings? Yes. Did he express those feelings? Yes. Uh, Did he speak freely about them? Yes. And Father, take this cup from me. Father, if there's any other way to do this other than a cross, that would be my choice. I understand Jesus, he's passionate, he's relational, he's emotional, he's verbal. But what does he ultimately say? Your will be done. In other words, Father, Father, you make the decision and I will follow. I submit to you. Now, some people mistakenly think that when you submit that you can't say anything, that you can't feel anything that you can't ask anything, that's not the way Jesus did it. Next, submission does mean that husbands are to lovingly lead like Jesus leads the church. Question, does Jesus berate the church? Does Jesus rule legalistically over the church? Is Jesus cruel, mean, harsh, or ugly to the church? No. Jesus, he bled and died for the church. He gave himself up completely for the well-being of the church. And like matters, husbands are to lovingly, humbly, and sacrificially lead their family. And wives are to respect them and follow their lead. Ladies, if I were to ask you, do you have a hard time submitting to Jesus? How would you answer? You'd say, no, of course not. Jesus is so good to me. Jesus loves me. Jesus is always doing what's best for me. Jesus would do absolutely anything for me. Husbands, be like that. Husbands, be like Jesus. Men of Maple Grove, let's make it easy. Let's make it real easy for our wives to follow our lead. Men of Maple Grove, get it? Good. There are some ladies in there too. They want you to get it. Fourth, submission does mean a single woman should only marry a man she can follow. Ladies, be careful who you date and who you marry. Don't just date a guy you can put up with. Instead, date and marry a guy that you can trust, a guy you can respect, a guy who is godly, a guy who has godly wisdom. Uh, understand it's not a good idea to marry some guy you don't trust, who's not wise, who doesn't do his homework and is immature and inconsiderate, who is in so many ways still just a little boy. Ladies, trust me, you don't want to spend the rest of your life being some guy 's mama, all right? You just don't want to. Get it? Good. Next, Peter says, and this fun. OK? Next Peter says, we're to preach sermons without words. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And remember, Peter's entire focus in this section that began in chapter 2, verse 11, is somebody's watching us. You know, somebody's watching us, and and, and Peter's goal is since they're watching us, he, he wants to encourage and empower us to make a huge impact on those watching by the way that we live out our lives. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And listen, the truth is that for some Christian wives, one of those unbelieving neighbors is their own husband's. And how did she end up here? I mean, how did a Christian woman end up with an unbelieving husband? Well, three possible ways. Um, number one, she became a Christian after she got married. Very common in, in the first century. Still happens today, right? Uh, number two, it could've, she could have ended up there because she disobeyed God and married a non-Christian, hoping that someday he would love Jesus. And ladies, it doesn't usually happen that way. And let me say this, missionary dating is usually not a good idea. Sure, sometimes it works, but oftentimes it doesn't. So be careful about dating a non-believer. In fact, I and the Word of God, the ultimate authority of our lives and our church, would advise against it. You see, dating can and does lead to marriage, right? I mean, at least in all culture, you at least have one date before you get married, right? I mean, you, you know, you don't marry someone that you've never dated. Uh, but the problem is, <clears throat> if we start, if you start dating and you fall in love with that person, you're going to like, yeah, but I love them. I know they're not a believer, but I love them. And you're going to marry them anyhow, even though God would rather have you not. Another reason she could end ended up here and, and find herself married to a, a guy who's not a Christian is the guy acted like he was a Christian <laughs> when they were dating. But once they were married she finds out that he never really was one to begin with. You see, he was kind of like Judas. He, he hung around with God's people, but he never really did love Jesus. You know, It was just an act to accomplish his goal. I want that woman, I want to be married, so I'll do what I have to do in order to catch my prey, and then I'll be who I want to be. So for one of these reasons, you know, a wife finds herself in this position. She's married to an unbeliever. Peter says, okay, I know you're there. I know it's a very tough place to be, he says, I have some advice from you. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Notice understand Peter's not saying that wives should never talk about Jesus and answer questions. In fact, later on in this letter, he's going to tell every one of us, he says, you know, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who's going to ask you the reason for the hope that you have. Instead, what I I think Peter's saying is that there comes a time when a a lady's married to a nonbeliever, when you said about all that you need to say. Your husband knows you're a Christian. They know you love Jesus. They know you go to church. They know you pray. They know you read your Bible. I mean, they've heard about all that they are willing to hear about Jesus. And at this point, sometimes if you keep talking, it actually does more harm than good. You see, at this point, sometimes Peter's saying what they need at this point is is to see more of Jesus lived out in your life, in your character, in your behavior. He says, Yeah, uh, they've seen the tree. Now they need to see some or more fruit on the tree. And, And Paul gives a great idea of what that fruit looks like in Galatians 5. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, who's controlling your life right now? Who's controlling mine? produce this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, do you think really living that stuff out would have an impact on an unbelieving spouse? You better believe it. And fellow Jesus followers, do you think that if you and I lived out those nine characteristics in our world... Among the people we rub shoulders with, do you think that would have a positive impact if we lived it out where we'd rub shoulders with people from Sunday to Sunday? It sure would. You know, I remember, <clears throat> I remember hearing Lee Strobel, you know, the guy who wrote The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, the Case for Creator, talking about this very thing. He was giving his testimony. I was driving around listening to radio and, and, and just happened to luck into it. And he was saying, you know, that he was an atheist and, you know, his wife became a believer. And all of a sudden, you know, she was so different. It's kind of like body snatchers in the good way, right? It's like, you know, step for wives in a good way. It's like, wow, she was so changed, so different. He says, I got to go to that church to see what in the world happened that made this change in my wife. And then what? The rest is history, right? I mean, how many lives has Lee Strobel impacted? How many skeptics has he brought to the Lord? And, And the major influence he had was of a wife who was just living out her faith, and he saw the change. Next, Peter says to wise that, uh, that wives should pursue true beauty. He said your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You see, true beauty, what, what is of great worth, the God is far deeper and longer lasting than mere physical beauty. Remember that great passage in 1 Samuel chapter 16 where it says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? Looks at the heart. Now now understand, Peter is not saying that it's wrong for a lady to want to dress nice and look nice. I mean, that's a good and okay thing, right? But listen, if all she has is outward looks, and she claims to be a Jesus follower, it's just not enough. It doesn't work. Solomon, remember, Solomon, I didn't write this. Solomon put it this way. <laughs> like a gold ring in a pig snout. You got one? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't say it. Is <laughs> a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. You know, I recently looked at a cover of some women's magazines whose obvious goal. Uh, was to sell women on the idea to pursue outer beauty at all costs. Here's what some of the titles I saw: Make the most of your looks, shrink your belly, secrets, the lash, to, secrets, the lush lashes. Awesome. Fifty ways to dress your body sexier. The best jeans for your body. Beauty. Look expensive for less. Again, there was a lot of stuff about looking better, but really nothing at all about living better. I mean, I didn't find any of these titles, you know. uh, How to Grow in Humility as a Woman. (laughs) Twelve Ways to Cultivate Godly Character. The Joy of Following Your Husband's Leadership. None of that. (laughs) Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You know, this week, I was working on my sermon, you know, uh, on a post from Kenzie Hurst. She used to go here. She used to live in Seaville. Now she lives in Elville, Louisville. Just traded one letter. And, and, uh, and she had this on her Facebook wall, uh, this thing about how the world and the media is trying to get all the ladies and young girls to pursue, you know, outer beauty at all costs, and it's a great read, and, and I thought it'd be better to have a female read it, to have a mom read it, and have a mom with four daughters read it um, than myself, and so Stephanie is going to read this to us, and just listen, this is really powerful.
1: Yeah, this um, is something that is very near and dear to my heart because of my four daughters, um, as a mom, it's, uh, it's always been that fine line of, yes, that looks pretty, but you can't wear it. Or anything that you, you know in your heart might cause someone to, to stumble or um, to be detrimental to themselves. So this begins, uh, Dear Daughter, when we stood in the checkout and you leaned over and said, What? I can't hear you. I could read it right then in your eyes right there by all the glossy magazines screaming at you like a pack of jockeying hawkers. If you listen long enough to all the loud voices about who you should be, you grow deaf to the beauty of who you are. Listen. Read the covers of magazines and you'd think romance is a function of cleavage and plastic surgeon noses and spray tans. Read the glossy covers and you'd think love is a function of waist size, heel height, and bare flesh flaunted for every gawking eye. Read everything in the checkout line and they check you out of reality. That's what the media is selling. X-rated beauty, romance porn. That's the thing about the checkout line. The media is fueled by changing the definition of beauty, romance, and love from what is true to what is trendy. Media tries to define you with likes as a measure of your lovability. Media votes you on or it votes you off as if a woman's worth is a popularity contest instead of being permanently won by function of being made in the image and likeness of God. Be defined by real love or you'll go looking for love in the pages of some cheap novel of romance porn, some plot line that is artificially augmented and harlequin liposuctioned. You'll go looking for love under the warmth of some guy's hands you'll go looking for love in the size of your jeans. Listen for the small voice who is love, who cups your face close and names you beloved. Listen to hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Listen to the voice who says, I love you so much, that when the wolves come to devour your real identity, I become a lamb myself. I sacrifice myself for you so you never have to sacrifice yourself to the gods of this world. Listen to the voice who says, I am the shepherd. That when the wolf comes to consume you with lies, I would rather lose my life than let you lose your value. Listen to the voice who says, I will never drive you to Photoshop expectations or to the dangerous cliff of conditional love because I'm never the one driving you. I'm gently leading you. I lead you no matter where you are. I am with you, leading you. Listen to the voice who assures I am making your good decisions work for good, and I am working your bad decisions into the best loving plan for your ultimate good. Listen to his voice. God is turning everything around to turn you into the beauty he knows you are. The world will say they will love you if you are beautiful. But the truth is, you are beautiful because you are loved, because I love you, because he who is love loves you unconditionally. Please hear me, girl. The world has enough women who know how to do their hair. It needs women who know how to do hard and holy things. The world has enough women who live a masked insecurity. It needs more women who live a brave vulnerability. The world has enough women who are trying to do it all, spending everything they've got to be found in the crowd. It needs more who are doing the only thing that is necessary, spending time at his feet, being found and known by him. Look at the bent woman ahead of us in the checkout, her gnarled and arthritic hand counting out the potatoes she'll bake tonight for the old man leaning against the cart. That is the quietest reality that hushes all the media voices. We need more women who would rather be beautifully sacrificial than perfectly artificial. Don't let Hollywood define it, let the pages of truth define it. Romance is a long sacrifice. Say that quiet to yourself at the mirror, over the stove, over the toilet bowl, and let your soul feel the caress of God who knows. Romance is a long sacrifice. And then it will happen to you like it happens to all the women who are soul-beautiful and loved. For a beautiful countenance, count blessings. For beautiful lips, only speak words that make souls stronger. And to carry yourself with poise, carry each other's burden. For the most beautiful shape, simply live with one hand, receiving all as gift and the other hand giving away the gifts. You becoming the shape of a gift, becoming the shape of a cross. Go ahead, girl, run your hands wild through your hair and smile unashamed and be at peace in the fullness of you and pour your beauty out like an alabaster perfume. Beauty doesn't live in your skin. Beauty lives in the lining of your heart. Amen.
0: Amen. Absolutely powerful. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair, the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And like Stephanie said, it's going to be very hard to swim upstream against the current of making quests for outer beauty your greatest pursuit. After all, there's a multi-billion dollar business that will never stop telling you pursue outer beauty at all costs. No, it won't be easy, Uh, which is why uh, the next piece of advice Peter has is is so critical. Uh, He says, why should seek to know exemplary women? For this is a way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Ladies, you can't do it alone. You need examples to follow. You need the influence of godly women who are where you want to be. And you also need to be a godly example to other women who need to get to where you are. You need the influence of other godly women who are where you want to be, and you need to be a godly example to other women who need to get where you are. You know, the second part of our mission is to make disciples. I mean, there's a a discipleship team meeting, and we'll be rolling out in October, but obviously part of this will be, you know, to get man on man and lady on lady to begin helping each other become the people God wants us to be. We need to be involved in each other's lives at a deep level. And Peter picks an example. He says, hey, Sarah, this is his example. And i got to be honest. At first, I, you know, I wanted to veto his choice. Uh, Sarah was far from perfect. I mean, she's the lady who told her husband, right, hey, why don't you commit adultery with her hand servant so we can have some kids? And in case you're wondering, that was not a good idea. In fact, we're still fighting a war over that one. And Sarah's not perfect. She followed Abraham's lead twice when he told her, you need to lie, and tell these kings you're my sister or they're going to kill me. So why would Peter say, ladies, wise, if you need an example to follow, look to Sarah. Okay, he really couldn't find anybody any better. I mean, how about Ruth? Was she busy out of town? <laughs> but you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that Sarah's actually a great pick. Not because she's perfect, but precisely because she's imperfect. I understand. Peter's saying, wives, ladies, you're not going to be a perfect wife. Sarah wasn't. You're not always going to give good counsel. Sarah didn't. And Sometimes you're going to follow your husband's lead when you shouldn't because he's not following God. That's what Sarah did more than once. And sometimes you're not going to follow your husband's lead when you should because he's following God which Sarah did as well. Yes, when we look at segments of Sarah's life, we see that she made some mistakes, that she was imperfect. However, if you look at the totality of her life, her life, you'll see that she was a godly woman, a faithful woman. And that's why Peter chooses her. And that is why the Hebrew writer chose a bunch of other imperfect people to be in that great cloud of witnesses who've gone on before us and who are cheering us on. Uh, People like David, the murderer and adulterer who were chosen not because they were perfect, but because they were faithful. People who refused to let themselves be defined by a moment or moments of weakness. Now, I don't know about you, but their choices give me hope. Actually, a lot of hope. Understand, we don't have to be perfect. We never can be. However, we can make progress, significant progress, burning brighter, salt, saltier kind of progress by the grace of God and the power of His Spirit that lives inside of us. Maple Grove, always remember that God is looking for progress, not perfection in our lives, for faithfulness, not faultlessness. And never forget that God has always intended for us to run this race, to live this life in tandem. Ladies, wives, seek to know godly, exemplary women. Follow your husband's leadership. Preach sermons without words. Pursue true beauty. And lastly, wives should fight fear. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to Fear. If you do what? If you do what is right, and he just told us what is right, right? What is right is to follow your husband's leadership. What is right is to pursue true beauty. What is right is to preach sermons without words, right? So that we do not give way to fear. Fear about what? I mean, Well, I could be afraid of Why would wives be afraid of doing what Peter's just said? Well, what if it doesn't work out? (laughs) What if you choose to live this way and and you're miserable? You you don't like it. Uh, What if the world, you know, laughs at you when you choose to do things God's way? Like Sarah laughed at God when God said what he was going to do for her and her husband. When the world says, no, come on, Really? Really, ladies, you're, really, you're going to base your life on some ancient, outdated, archaic book? And you're like, well, I'm seriously thinking about it. Live such good lives among the pagans, that, they, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Do what is right and do not give way to fear. Understand, every Jesus follower, not wives only. We will have to fight off fear in order to live such good lives. Fear of being different. Fear of standing out. Fear of looking odd. Fear of looking outdated. Fear of what the world thinks about us when they, when they see how We react and respond to authority, all authority in a biblical way. You know, a fear of standing out when they see how we deal with sin and temptation. We decide, you know what, what I do matters and my behavior matters. Fear of standing out when the world sees ladies and husbands living the way that God has called them to live. But hey, sticking out, being different is supposed to be what we do. It's supposed to be who we are. Yeah, we have to fight off that fear. Yeah, but being different is who we are. I have this uh, little gray bracelet on here. It's got four words on it. Um, set free, set apart. See? See, Jesus set me free so that he could set me apart. So that could be different. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And let me say one thing about fear, and I'm going to pray. John talked about it. All right, you got to be real, right? We're going to stick out. If we start living the way we're supposed to be, we're going to stick out. We just are, Right? We respond to authority in a biblical way. We're going to stick out, right? Why are you taking that off your boss? You deserve better. Well, because he's my boss, and I'm supposed to respect him, as I'm respecting the Lord. Oh, you're not doing those things? Why? Because I'm a Christian, and yeah, do I want to do them? You better believe I want to do that. <laughs> but, but but I love Jesus more than I love that sin. Amen. You're going to be a wife that submits to her husband. Why? Well, you're strong. You're intelligent. You got a degree. He doesn't. Well, I know, but I'm going to do what God says. You're going to. Be this kind of, well, I'm just gonna do what God says. We're gonna stick out, and we don't like to stick out, and it causes fear, but you know what? There's something that drives out fear. John talked about it. He says, perfect love drives out fear. Drives it out. We serve someone as perfect love. Perfect love, and it'll drive out the fear of being different, because being different is what it means to be light. Being different is what this world that's so engulfed in darkness needs. See, they don't need our judgments. They don't need our critical attitudes. They don't need our finger pointing. They need us just to be different. They need us to show them, hey, there's a different way. There's a better way. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we love you and and God, what an honor and a privilege it is to be your people. And God, to have a rock of your word that we can stand on. God, you know, it, it, our culture, our values, and our world, man, they, they are like shifting shadows, Lord. They're like a wave tossed on the sea. What's valuable is not valuable now. What's valuable later is not valuable now. And what, what's important, it's just crazy, God, to know what's right or what's wrong. What's black, what's white when we look at the world? But, God, when we look at the Word, it, it, it gives us stability. And, and so, God, right now, I just lift us up as a body, God, that, that we will rise and shine. For the glory of the Lord has come, God. May we be different, God. Not on our own strength and ability, but because the glory of the Lord shines on us and the glory of the Lord lives on us. And, God, God I, I pray for every Jesus follower. I pray for every marriage in this room. God, I pray for every, every lady and man, every husband and wife in this room today, God. God, we'll just hear your voice and we'll bend our knee to your truth. And God, just thank you for giving us stability in such an unstable word. The grass wither and the flowers fall. Lord, but your word stands forever. We love you. We need you. And you're here.